Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it. And we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets. Shasta McManus calls herself a planner. She's worked in Democratic politics for over a decade, spent six years on the board of Planned Parenthood in her adopted home state of Arizona. I got her on the line because I wanted to know if she or someone she loved needed an abortion right now. Did she have a plan for that? Yeah, I mean, I've been thinking about, you know, this a lot, Um, mainly because I had a friend that was pregnant and had to rush the procedure more than normal and ended up getting her procedure done two days before the Supreme Court decision. And we had very long discussions about what her options would be if she decided to wait a week it was very hard to like hold someone's hand and have to, you know, have them rush. Were you warning her? Were you like, you should do it this week just because I don't know what's going to happen? It wasn't necessarily a warning, but, well, you know, walking her through this process, of course, had us thinking about what this looks like for every other pregnant person in the state. Now that the decision is out, what the process looks like to get an abortion in the state of Arizona is not great. It's unclear what's legal, what's not. And Shasta has seen this confusion looming ever since Justice Alito's draft opinion leaked in May. That's when she and some friends started talking. It started with phone calls and text messages and emails saying, we have to do something. We have to do something now. We had to find the quickest way to protect these rights in Arizona. And that's when, you know, this group on Zoom calls said, we have to do a constitutional amendment. And one group here in Arizona is now taking action to let voters decide the fate of abortion rights in our state. In Arizona, a constitutional amendment can be put to a direct vote. Advocates just need to collect enough signatures so that's what Shasta and her organization, Arizonans for Reproductive Freedom, is trying to do. They've got till July 7th. 
Starting today, Arizonans for Reproductive Freedom will need to average 7,000 signatures a day to reach its goal to get on the November ballot. This has not been done. 400,000 signatures in a state in 50 days. I mean, yeah, um, it is overwhelming and monumental. It's bold. We, we had to try. Here's some words I've heard thrown around in regards to the constitutional amendment plan that you're working on here. I've heard long shot. I've heard Hail Mary. What would you say to people who are saying those kinds of things? I say they're right. And I say we have no other option. Today on the show, Arizona's long shot option to preserve reproductive freedom. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next?, Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You live in Tucson, right? I do. Tucson, Arizona, yes. For since 2006. If you needed an abortion right now, do you know where you'd be able to go? You know, I have, I uh, believe, three options right now. I think the closest is around El Centro, California. California? Yeah. Whoa. That doesn't sound close at all to me. It, it's not. It's not close at all. And our, my, our closest option is, of course, Mexico. Um, so we are legitimately sending people who need abortion services to another country. Before the Supreme Court's decision, there were a handful of facilities providing abortions in Arizona. Now it is hard to tell. Planned Parenthood has stopped providing the procedure. As of a few days ago, a Phoenix doctor was saying he was still providing abortions. But he's the same provider who was accused of waving a gun at protesters a few years back. No one is quite sure what the rules are. Arizona's legislature did pass a ban on abortions after 15 weeks, just this year. But that law is not supposed to go into effect until September. And then there's a law in the books from 158 years ago that calls for mandatory prison time for abortion providers. But does it still apply? This is exactly why we decided to take this route of the constitutional amendment. We needed to simply codify these rights, and the Arizona Constitution, plain and simple. That way, all of the the zombie laws that are coming back to life, we can stop having to worry about those. Can you tell me really quickly exactly what your amendment says? What it would put into the Arizona Constitution? What we're trying to do is replicate Roe at a state level. Um, so we are saying simply every individual has a fundamental right to reproductive freedom. 
every individual has the right to make these decisions about matters relating to their body, and that's pregnancy, prenatal care, childbirth, postpartum care, contraception, sterilization, abortion care, miscarriage management, and I mean, and infertility care. And we know that infertility care is becoming a big concern across the country. If it's your body, you're making the decision. Correct. And we're also saying that these decisions are going to be made between a person and their doctor with the good faith medical judgment. And we will not criminalize a person who is seeking services. And we should not criminalize a medical provider for doing what is best and needed for their patients. If this amendment got on the ballot and passed in November, have you heard from abortion providers that feel safe doing what they do in Arizona? This is going to be the first step. If this gets on the ballot, and if this goes towards the voters, and the voters approve it, we are expecting a heck of a fight against us. And we're ready to take on that fight. I think what the Supreme Court did to healthcare providers is going to always leave them afraid of what may happen to them. I don't think it's going to stop them from doing, you know, their loved profession, but I I do think that they have in a way traumatized the the medical community. It, it, once we restore our rights, I think it's always going to be in their back of their head of you know, that feeling of like, oh my goodness, any day now, could this be taken away again? Hmm. Any day now, could what I'm doing for my patients be a crime? So for this first step to happen, you have to get all of these signatures that you submit that are approved, even to just get the constitutional amendment on the ballot. And you have to do that by July 7th? Yes. Uh, we will need to submit to the state on July 7th our signatures. I've read you have to be getting something like seven or 9,000 signatures a day to get where you need to go here. That is absolutely correct. So what does that look like? Like, are you, people just on the streets all day? Are you door knocking? How does it work? <laughs> I, I will I will tell you um in the first week or two of this campaign, I didn't know how we were gonna do it. I mean we had a plan, of course, but like wow, how are we gonna get up to ten thousand signatures a day? The last three weeks has changed that. How so? So what we have going on right now, and this is building exponentially. We have over 50 public-facing what we call depots, and these are small businesses and public locations where anybody can go and either sign the petition or check out petitions to circulate themselves. We are having to stock these depots every single day with hundreds of petitions because they cannot <laughs> they cannot stay stocked. Are you guys having to like validate and and count up 
the signatures every night, too? Like, are, <laughs> it sounds like a lot of clerical work. It's an enormous amount of work. The state laws in Arizona make these kind of initiative petitions incredibly difficult. Like, we can't even go out and, like, email these petitions to people for them to print off themselves. We actually have to have them go and physically pick them up. When those are completed, circulators have to go and get them notarized by a notary. And then they have to get them back to us. And because of how this is going, we are collecting, counting, and we are just, we're going to just turn them all in. Um, there is, it's going to be over, it's just going to be over, overwhelming. So on July 7th, are you going to carry a big stack of signatures into a courthouse somewhere? How does it work? I assume that we're going to need some large boxes and (laughs) we are going to have, and we will be submitting those to air. Probably both. (laughs) Um, But uh, we will be submitting those on July 7th to the Arizona Secretary of State. Oof. We'll be right back. One of the things that's interesting about Shasta McManus's push for this constitutional amendment is that even though she's been politically active for a long time, she worked with the Pima County Democratic Party and she helped out on Barack Obama's presidential campaign. This effort feels different to her. It's partially that she's helping to run a grassroots operation. It's partially that this issue is personal. Can you explain that a little bit? Like where your drive came from here? I remember, you know, very specifically, uh, I was around the age of 15. And my older sister, who's three years older than me, uh, came home to tell my mom that she was pregnant with her, uh, goodness, her second child. And for my mother, my mother had her, my sister, when she was 16, and she had me when she was 18. My family, especially my mother's side of the family, there was not a single female on our side of the family that had made it to the age of 18 without having a kid. And my mom, she insisted that, that I was going to be different. Hmm. So she grabbed my hand and she hauled me down to Planned Parenthood. And she, you know, was determined to get me on birth control. At 15? At 15. But I'm like, Mom, but I'm not having sex yet. And she's like, I don't care. I want you to know how to get it. I want you to be prepared from day one. And like I said, knowing that both my mom and my sister were pregnant with their first kids at the age of 16, she knew that this could be months away. And she wanted me to be prepared. And I remember sitting in this it was, it was a closet. It was a utility closet that was made into a, like a confidential consulting area. And this medical provider, this uh, male medical provider, sat me down in this chair in front of, I think, 20 different forms of contraceptives. <laughs> Everything from condoms to foams and gels and everything. And not only... 
did he tell me about all of my options, but he taught me how to be empowered to use them, how to introduce these things into conversations. How did he do that? Like, what did he say to you? He's like, here's the deal. When you're with the guy, do this or what? Right. If you're feeling a little bit uncomfortable, make it fun. You know, if he says, you know, no, you walk away, you know, that kind of thing. Making sure that he knew that I had the power over my sexuality, that I had the power to say no. I was receiving the sex education that my public school system would never offer me. And it was what I needed because I was the only woman in my family to make it to the age of 18 without having a kid. When you talk to your sister about your different experiences, what was that like? Because it sounds like you branched off in different paths and maybe she didn't have that moment with someone giving her that power. But honestly, we don't really talk very much right now. My sister ended up having three children at a young age, and her life was hard. Her life was very hard. And I got, I got to leave. We both grew up in a town of 100,000 people in north central Texas. We were the biggest thing within, you know, two, two and a half hours in any direction. We called it a little bit the black hole of Texas. It's you get sucked in and you can't get out. And I got out. And I was able to do that because of Planned Parenthood. I got out. I didn't have my first kid until I was 26. And my, my sister had a hard life. To fast forward, in 2013, I was at this height of my political career. I was just building a career for myself. I was 33 years old. And I, I was doing it. I, I, was, I was making it. I was making something of myself, and I was doing good things in my community. And then I got to be the one that came home with the unplanned pregnancy. And at the time, you were a single mom, right? At the time, I was a single mom. I had a guy that I was, you know, dating at the time. And again, I am a responsible person. I use contraceptive. And I found myself pregnant. And I had a choice in that moment. And I thought about it, of course, long and hard. Because I knew exactly, you know, what it was going to take for me to be, you know, a mother. You know, mother of a second, you know, a second child. Yeah, you'd done it before. I, I had a choice on whether or not I wanted to continue being successful and continue doing great things for my community, or I was about to slip back into the poverty that I escaped. And I mean, what kind of decision is that? Um, I mean, I knew that uh, on top of that, it would, it would really affect the way that I was able to care for the son that I had um, and to be able to give him the life that he deserves. Um, and so, yeah, I, um, at the age of 33, I, I had an abortion. And I went on to do amazing things. Um, I've wrapped up my career working in uh, public policy and advocacy. I currently, I work at the University of Arizona. I work in the College of Medicine. 
And I work in a program that serves people living with HIV and AIDS. And I'm going back to college to get my degree. And none of that, none of that would have been possible. Part of what gives Shasta a little hope that this constitutional amendment might pass is that she knows from her lived experience how complicated people's opinions about abortion can be. Take, for instance, her mom, who took Shasta to Planned Parenthood as a teenager. She tends to be quite conservative. And I've seen her um, definitely go both ways on the reproductive rights conversation. My mom is very religious. Hmm. My mom, at times, she taught Sunday school. But after the leak happened, and she still lives back in Texas, we sat on the phone for, I think, two hours crying together. Really? And, and I think it's one of those things. I think this is a thing. With, I think a lot of people that used to be anti-choice, a lot of them are thinking a lot differently today than they did before. And I know that my mother is one of those people. Hmm. Was she anti-abortion before this decision came out? For a time, she was. And it wasn't so much that she was anti-abortion, like on all, you know, at all levels. Um, but she uh, was absolutely on the really pushing the life option. <laughs> like, you know, she was a- absolutely one of those people that wanted abortion to be absolute last remedy. That must have been hard for you as someone who's had abortions and worked in this space. <laughs> to, to be a, yeah, to be on the board of Planned Parenthood and do all the work that I do and then have a conversation with my mom where she's like, are you sure? <laughs> hmm. You know, I just realized something, which is, I think you have a son. I do. Is he about 15? He is 16 years old. Yeah. That's right about the age where your mom took you to Planned Parenthood. And he's watching you do all this work. How are you talking to him about this moment? My son has been by my side my entire political career. At the age of one, he is toddling around an Obama campaign office in Arizona holding signs. He's in, you know, little backpack carry on my back as I knock on doors. He has been with me this entire way. This is where I get choked up again. You must feel lucky. I am blessed. I am lucky. And I'll just reiterate that, yeah, I wouldn't be standing here without the option to make the choice that I made at the age of 33. I would not be standing here. And he wouldn't be standing right beside me doing this too. If you were going to be completely honest with me, what do you think your odds of success with this constitutional amendment are? I believe we are going to be sitting in my living room, surrounded by stacks of petitions. And I believe there's going to be a point in that night where we are going to stand up, throw our hands up in celebration, just knowing that we got to maybe a 350,000 mark, I, I, I am looking forward to that moment. But I mean, and then again, you know, we still have to submit these signatures. They still will go through 
strict scrutiny by the state, and they will try to throw out every single signature that they can. You cross the line. Maybe the date was wrong. Maybe you spelled the city wrong. I mean, it's that level of scrutiny that these signatures are going to be under. Whether or not we make the ballot, we are going to still be up another uphill battle against the state for that. But what I will say is that we created a movement that's bigger than this initiative. If this does fail, and come September you're staring down a 15-week abortion ban, there's no constitutional amendment on the ballot, where do you move all this energy you've built up? We're not stopping. If we do not make the ballot this time, we will start right back up again. But I will tell you something. If the day after this, as soon as we can file for the 2024 elections, seeing what we created in 50 days, and we have now until 2024, there is no stopping this. Justin McManus, I'm really grateful for your time. Thanks for coming on the show. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I really enjoyed this. Shasta McManus is the treasurer for Arizonans for Reproductive Freedom. To learn more about her work, visit azreproductivefreedom.com. All right, that's the show. What Next is produced by Elena Schwartz, Mary Wilson, Carmel Delshad, and Madeline Ducharme. We are getting a ton of help right now from Anna Rubinova and Jared Downing. We are led by Alicia Montgomery and Joanne Levine. And I'm Mary Harris. I will be back in this feed tomorrow morning. Catch you then.